0: Welcome to the Theatre of Others podcast. My name is Adam Marple and I'm the co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others. With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing a shutdown and re-evaluation of space and gathering, we at the Theatre of Others are thinking about what stories we need and how best we can share them. Today is a solo episode led by myself in Puebla, Mexico. Today I'm going to be introducing or reintroducing the viewpoints to you. I'll be explaining their origins briefly but we're going to be exploring three very important viewpoints, spatial relationship, kinesthetic response, and tempo. For today's episode, I recommend you being outside, and if safe, in public, to try these exercises out. The Theatre of Others creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purpose of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary, and they are witness to what happens and we would love to hear from you. To join in this conversation, go to speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. Again, that's speakpipe.com backslash theater of others, theater with an R-E, theater of others, all one word, where you can argue with us, criticize us, correct us if need be, and be in dialogue with us. This is not a conversation that's a one-way street. We are hoping to hear back from you. We are the theater of others and you are an other too. This episode of the Theater Brothers Podcast contains explicit language. Hello, hello, welcome back everybody. Thanks for being here today with me. Just me, that's right. Uh, This is a solo episode that I'm doing uh, following Booty's solo episode last week. I uh, really appreciate Booty doing that. Um, I was on vacation, and uh, Booty was in a workshop this week, so it worked out perfectly that we could do this. And uh, we really enjoyed doing the solo episodes last time, but it was more of kind of a a lecture format when we did the solo episodes. We just kind of talked at you. Uh, we were hoping to you, and we were hoping that the other solo episodes were... Um, of benefit of value to you to you booty's holding space and my uh uh jewish exegesis the the way of um examining exploring a text as a director uh, tied in with an actor as well, but we started thinking, you know um what else can we do we can we can we use this medium? as mini workshops, as a mini uh, lesson of some kind? Is there some way that uh, we can be in the ears of our participants, of our audience, of our guests, and take them somewhere, do something with them? So uh, we're trying that out here. Um, Successful, unsuccessful, we don't know yet. Let us know uh, how these are going. Uh, As you heard in probably Booty's episode last week, we are experimenting with the idea of maybe moving this to YouTube, these lessons. Um, and some of that will work out a lot better. I was debating this week of what I was going to talk about. I was thinking of maybe doing a kind of a, a site-specific recce of how to look at a space. But again, it's one of those things of there's a lot of parameters around that. Do you feel safe and open? Or can you travel? Um we're all going to be looking at different spaces. Uh, so I decided to kind of put that on hold. Uh, that's probably more of a visual one that I want to take you on if we do that. Um, so what I'm going to take you through today is is what I've spent so much of my time doing. It's what I'm kind of known uh, around, uh, not necessarily around the world, but it's one of those things where I'm, I'm actually hesitating saying this this thing of of being an expert or or being a a master in this thing. I, I my body just kind of tensed up when I did that of going like, uh, "What are you doing? You're you're really egotistical and and saying that on your podcast." Wow, how much more egotistical can you be right now? But there is truth to that. I I am an expert. I have been doing this for. more than 20-something years now. I have been teaching it for more than 15, 12, 15 years. Um, I have traveled around the world with this. I am published on this very topic. So um, if I am afraid of saying that I'm an expert on this, then, uh, Lord, what are we going to do today? Um, Yes, it's the viewpoints. Um, This is... um, this is my bread and butter a lot of times, uh, in, in an acting program, especially if I'm not teaching directors, then this is what I am teaching. So, um, I do like to, in the podcast, take the side of the director, uh, let Booty take the side of the actor, but I'm gonna step into this world again, uh, with you all and delve into the viewpoints. So, um, those of you who know the viewpoints, this, you know, it's just going to be a sort of reiteration of the history, uh, the formulation of the viewpoints, and, uh, you know, it's just good to just kind of refresh, refresh ourselves, remind ourselves where it came from. But uh, the viewpoints were, I don't want to say that they were invented because they weren't invented. They were, they were more kind of discovered. And by discovered, I don't mean that like they were hidden under a rock somewhere. They were always there. It was just a way of realizing them. Let's say say that. They were realized. They were seen for what they were. In the late 70s, um, mid to late 70s, by uh, an amazing, brilliant artist named Mary Overly, who passed away last year, sadly. Um, And Mary Overly was a choreographer and a dancer and an experimenter and an inventor in a time when the art world was going through great experimentation, especially the theater and the dance world. Theater and dance is usually late to the party, um, especially theater. Theater seems to be the last one there. Um, but the art world had already gone through its its crazy happenings phase and experimenting phase and avant-garde abstraction and absurdism and collage and all these things. And um, theater people were hanging out with With fine art people and dance people and music people. And it was all starting to rub off on each other. And this time in the 70s, postmodernism was in vogue. It was the new raging thing of saying, how do we create non hierarchically without anything being more important than the other thing? How can we create at a level playing field where, uh, The the body can be as important as the object or the lights can be as important as the music. How can we create in this world? And so creating multimedia multidisciplinarily, that's one thing. But inside of your own discipline, intradisciplinarily, how can you relearn your work with a non-hierarchical approach? And so Mary Overly is looking at the dancer and saying... How can I train dancers? How can I dance myself? How can I choreograph without putting too much emphasis on one thing or the other? and she started to realize and find and rediscover these elements these these little points uh that every single artist has to deal with, but she was looking specifically at dancers to begin with, and then she moved into theater and these were the six viewpoints uh and the six viewpoints uh are. The acronym is STEMS, S-S-T-E-M-S. And that stands for space, story, time, emotion, movement, and shape. And they, again, they can be in other orders. It could be shape, space, time, emotion, memory, story. Uh, It it doesn't really matter, again, because it's non-hierarchical, but it's just a way of kind of remembering for yourself S-S-T-E-M-S space, shape, time, emotion, movement, and story. So Mary Overly was doing this with her own work, doing this with her own uh, dance work, but her own choreography work. And uh, she is one of the founders of the Experimental Theater Wing of New York University, where she started to not only introduce this, but also, let's be honest, use the students as a guinea pig, as most teachers around the world uh, will be afraid to tell you that uh, they are experimenting in the room teaching, teaching students. They are learning themselves and putting it back into their work. But Mary was experimenting in the experimental theater wing, and uh, she was starting to delve into theater work when she was introduced and worked with a lady named Anne Bogart. Anne Bogart, who many of you will know, uh, was already an experimental director um, working in the downtown grungy New York theater scene in the 70s. And she works with Mary Overly on a production and sees this this rehearsal room process, this way of being in the space. And she says, this is brilliant. This is beautiful. This is something that I could absolutely use with my actors. How How can I continue to use this? And Mary, again, is experimenting with this form, and Anne starts to experiment with this form as well, and this is where the path diverges. Mary's stems is still being taught, is still being used, is still being explored. Anne's viewpoints diverged because she was working specifically with actors, and she starts to think, how can I adapt this for the American uh, regional theater theater? acting scene where there's four weeks of rehearsal, there's not, you know, months and years of experimentation and delving in on yourself. How can I use this to expand the vocabulary of the actor, have a quick uh, way of working, a way of, of creating ensemble quickly because actors are coming from all over the country and coming together really quickly, this gypsy lifestyle of actors that we have, and then leaving very quickly. How can I bring this stuff together, this, this great, amazing, beautiful training with the quick American theater model that we have? and so she adapted it to the nine viewpoints. And if you have come across the viewpoints, it is likely you've come across these nine viewpoints, not Mary's stems, the six viewpoints. So the nine viewpoints, again, very briefly, are broken down into uh, space and time. So space was a viewpoint in itself for Mary, and time was a viewpoint in itself. Anne sees these as, as kind of holders for smaller, more minute shapes of viewpoints. So the viewpoints of uh, space are spatial relationship, how close or how far away you are to someone or something in the story that it may tell. Topography, uh, this is a difficult concept. We could think of this as staging, as blocking, I hate that word, as uh, choreography. It's the two-dimensional movement on the floor and the three-dimensional movement in space. After topography, we have shape, the positive space that your body takes up and the negative space around that body and the shapes that you can create with the body. Gesture expands on shape and says, if you put a story with shape, you have gesture. You can have a expressive gesture, expressing an idea, an emotion, uh, a, 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 a giant concept, statuary, usually does this for us. Um, But you could also become more quotidian, more everyday with your gestures, hailing a cab, picking your nose, combing your hair. Those are all gestures that we associate with the everyday and that we can associate with character as well. And the last one of space is architecture, the things around us, how space can be subconsciously uh, communicating with us. How can you read a room like you're reading sheet music? The viewpoints of time are tempo, how fast or how slow you do something, uh, duration, how long or how short you do that something, um, kinesthetic response, responding to an external stimuli, so basically when you do something, and repetition, repeating or recycling an idea from before, from another production, from another year, bringing it back into the room now. So those are the viewpoints of space, time, time, uh, and those are the nine viewpoints that you're likely to have come across if you have ever experienced the viewpoints. Very rarely do we get the six viewpoints, sadly, and the reason is because of this dichotomy between Anne's fast working method and Mary's very deep, intense working method. Mary was never trying to create a method to export to export to the world. She was creating basically a monk's journey of inward reflection that can be applied to the art. And not that there's not inward reflection in the nine viewpoints, but the nine viewpoints is about working on self so that you can create the work, so that you can get into the rehearsal room and do the work. And it's a very fast method. It's very uh, something that can be picked up, I don't want to say easily, but it's, it's once you're in it, you can understand it. It's then about deepening it over time. So as brief, as brief an introduction as I could make, uh, I I went on a little bit longer than I wanted to, but I could talk about the history of this forever because it's very, very important. It's very, very important that we recognize the origins of this and the change in direction that it went in. Why you are introduced to the nine viewpoints in an acting school is because it's quicker. Why aren't you uh, introduced to Mary's six viewpoints? Because that should be your lifelong journey. And even though both of those are non-hierarchical, I'm only going to focus on three today. And it's not to say that these three are more important than the other. But when Booty asked me, which three viewpoints would you introduce first? What are the ones that you feel like they need to get a grasp on first? And I said, spatial relationship, kinesthetic response, and tempo. These are the ones that I feel are the ones that I see over and over again, no matter where I am in the world. There are issues that come up with this, and we will talk about these issues um, after we get back from the break. So um, for today's podcast, what I do recommend is I I do recommend you going into space, going outside. Uh, If you feel safe, if you feel comfortable, if um, you're well-masked and socially distanced at this moment, please go outside to where there are people. This won't do you much good uh, being in an empty space. You can theoretically listen to this, and I would appreciate that if you listen to it. That's fantastic, of course. But I actually want you to do, if you can, if you feel safe, if you are in the, uh, if you are able to do so. So, if you're listening to this in your car, um, this is going to be a theoretical exercise because I don't want you to be viewpointing in your car. So, after the break, I would like you to be in a space. Um, sitting somewhere you feel comfortable but that you can see other people you can see people in the space if this is a park if this is a busy street somewhere that you can sit down be safe and see people that's what i'm going to ask you to do after the break because we're going to talk about spatial relationships okay purple planet take it away realizing as I'm doing this solo, I have a tendency to talk fast. So now that I am in your ears and now that I'm going to be leading this exercise, I am going to try to slow this down. I hope you found a good space you feel comfortable with, uh, you feel comfortable in. It's important to, to why I'm saying this, it's, it's important to find this comfortable space because we're going to be here for a little while. So if this isn't the right space, if you already don't feel comfortable in this space. Get up, go someplace else, go where you do feel comfortable, and it may be a thing where me asking you to even do this is uncomfortable. being in space, being around people after this last year, it may be uncomfortable, so let's just recognize that. Let's just put that out there and say, this is how I feel um. And I'm going to either do this exercise or I'm not going to do this exercise. And that's completely up to you. And I would never know if you stop the podcast right now. But if you're still with me, I think you're going to try things out. So you're in an open space. I say open space because you're not in your home anymore. You're somewhere. Let's say you're in a park. Maybe you're not in a park. Maybe you are um, out in the city. If the city is open and you feel comfortable with that, but you're sitting somewhere and you're watching life go by and it makes sense, doesn't it? The order to this life. This doesn't seem foreign to us. This all relates to things that we have seen before. Things are placed near things. Things are placed further away from things. People aren't walking into things. They're walking around things. They're not walking into cars. Cars are stopping, hopefully. The world seems ordered in its chaos. But over this last year, we have been asked to think very, very specifically about our spatial relationship. We've been given a number six feet away two meters away. That's what is safe to be away from somebody so that this horrible disease isn't immediately spread. That's social distancing. We're probably going to be really cognizant of this spatial relationship for a while. You would definitely be aware of this if somebody came and sat down next to you right now, wouldn't you? A stranger came and sat down next to you, especially if that stranger wasn't masked. This is space relationship it is something that can be felt it can be seen but it's also about being felt about being cognizant of how close or how far away you are to someone or to something and the story that it may tell the story that it's been telling over this last year is i am responsible for my fellow citizens and i am going to either be a good citizen or be a bad citizen. That's the story. I mean, you know, whatever your feelings about this disease are, the disease exists. And if you don't socially distant, you are not being a good citizen. If you do socially distance yourself, you are being a very good citizen. And there's something about that space that changes throughout the world that we've all been asked to create this space for ourselves. What I mean by what it changes all over the world. Um, These are going to be blanket statements, but these these tend to be true from where I have traveled around the world and taught this. I am an American and America is a very big country. It's a very, very big country, and we all live in states and we live in our houses with our big uh, yards of grass and our neighbor on the other side of a fence. Even if you're in New York City and you're in an apartment, there's still a sense of my space. It becomes condensed, but it's still my space. There's this sense in Americans of I own this space. And if you come into this space, it is a threatening gesture. That wide open kind of cowboy going out West somehow has continued to permeate our culture, Americans, and we want space. We want to have our own personal space, no matter how we can make it. It's not always true against a blanket statement, but on average, this is what I have found when teaching and traveling and being in the United States. Now let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's go to Asia. Let's go anywhere in Southeast Asia, especially. Space is not yours. It's a collective idea, space. Families are not usually a mother, a father, and a child, and that's it. Usually it's a mother, a father, a child, their wife, their child, maybe a grandmother, a grandfather, maybe an aunt or uncle. There's a lot of people living inside of the house. And growing up in that environment, space is a premium that you don't get to have. So you're used to being around other people all the time. You're used to being into cramped quarters. You're used to being in compact cities. Um, there's something that maybe even is a little off-putting about being in open space, wide open prairies, which are not common in Southeast Asia, but very common in the United States. So space is condensed. Space is togetherness. The the space of um, you're in my personal space is much closer. It's maybe even uh, a hand's breadth away. Can I, can I put my hand out and are you there? Then you're in my space. Whereas for an American, if I swing my arms around and, you, and I touch you, you're in my space. So space is very different in that respect. But over the last year, we all collectively have been asked to think about space of six feet, of two meters what is that going to do for all of us around the world what does that do for us right now do you feel comfortable sitting next to a stranger air travel is extremely scary right now i mean nobody wants to sit next to somebody on an airplane anyway but do you want to sit next to somebody in an enclosed tube in the in the sky no the same thing with theater right we don't want to sit next to somebody yet we don't quite feel comfortable with that we want we want to remain socially distanced as you're in this space and you're looking around can you see the bubble of protection that people are putting around them can you see the spatial relationship that they're aware of just watch them for a moment if people know each other they're closer. The space is telling you the relationship, right? That person right there. What's their story? What is their space relationship telling you? How are they interacting with their space, with their objects in their space, with other people? Can you watch yourself, where you have placed yourself, where you felt comfortable to sit? You had any place to sit, you had any choice, and you chose right here. Can you look at yourself, can you project yourself outwards and look back at yourself and say, the story that is being told by the space around this person, the relationship to space is what? Keep watching. What stories unfold? What stories develop? If there's nobody around, what does that say about the space? Maybe there's nobody around and you want to do this with objects. You can do this as well because objects didn't crawl to where they are. They didn't sprout legs and go there. Somebody put them there. So again, there's still a human being involved in the relationship of objects as well. How close is that thing to that thing? And why? What would it be if it was closer? Or farther away? If you can, get up right now and change spaces. Go somewhere else. Sit next to something. And try to find the uncomfortable close. What is that zone of where it feels like I shouldn't be this close to this object? And adjust. Go too far away. Go to the point where you no longer have any kind of relationship with that object. You're not in relation to this thing anymore because you've moved farther away. I would normally say, try this with people, but uh, we're going to be nice. We're going to be good citizens. We're not going to do this. But just be cognizant of when people, as they go by, maybe get a little too close. Do the alarm bells go off? Do you hear, do you feel that when somebody is a little bit too close to you? Now, especially? And how far away can you be but still be in relationship to them? Six feet away. You can have a conversation with that person. 12 feet away? Three meters away? Four meters away? not quite, five meters away, 15 feet, you're starting to have to raise your voice, hopefully you're masked, so we can't see your, you can't see your mouth anyway, so now you're having to shout out, which we're being told, don't shout, don't yell, obviously, you can start to to see how so much of our interaction, our daily interaction with people is about this space. There's a um, there's a gentleman named Elliot Wapples. He is um, he basically invented this thing called intentional civics. Uh, he was at the New School, uh, getting his I believe his undergraduate and his graduate degree, and, and doing this research that he basically created himself, which is the attention to the space between people, rather than attention to what happens within specific individuals. He said, and I quote here. There is no moment where bodies can exist without negative space, and therefore, there is no moment where civics is not practiced. The way the space is attended to, how you interact knowing that space, that civic space between us, that's something that we have lost. And I'm not just talking um, socially distanced, but even before that, we have become strained. You are other, and not in the way that Booty and I talk about. You are alien. You are different. And we do not share those same things. But that civic space is that space that we share, that space between you and I. And it used to be we would say we would reach across the aisle or we would take a step forward. But we're very cognizant now of our space, of being not in each other's faces, or some people being in our faces, how can we take care of that space, that civic space, that space where, where being a citizen exists, the duties of citizenship, civics? Right now, we're all practicing that with social distancing. Hopefully, we're all practicing that. But what does it mean as a character? What does that mean as an actor on stage? What does that mean as a director working with characters and actors? How can you create that civic space? How can you tell that story without any words at all? Just being cognizant, just being aware of the space and being around. One of the things I've found, interestingly enough, as I've talked about the American version and the Southeast Asian version, I found that Americans, when they, when American actors, when they're working with the viewpoints when they're when they're collaborating together, they clump up, they get together, they love ensemble, they really really crave and miss that space being condensed because we've been pushing away strangers for so long, and I found the opposite to be true in Southeast Asia when it comes time to work with space relationship or work in the viewpoints work working across Southeast Asia wherever I'm at. I see them spread apart. Finally, they're free. They don't have to touch somebody. They don't have to be with anybody. Ensemble is a different idea. So as you move through your space, as you move through your day, as you continue to move through these exercises, I want you to be aware of your space. And I want you to be aware of other people's space. And when those spaces interact, and when we are very clearly not interacting, that civic space between us. And if you feel comfortable, if it's okay, play with that distance. Start negotiating that strategy of, can I come a little bit too close? And what does the body do of the other person? What does your body do? And how far away can you get and still maintain a relationship with them? I'm going to ask you to move to another space. We're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to expand out of this into kinesthetic response. So we're moving from space to time. Spatial relationship will still exist. Keep it there in the back of your mind. Keep taking notes if you want to, but I'm going to ask you now to not just observe, but to move and to react to things around you. Okay. So, uh, go ahead and get to a place where, again, you're in public, you're outside, there are people there, there are objects there. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about kinesthetic response. All right, and we're back. Thank you, Purple Planet, again for lovely, lovely music. Um, so, hopefully, you're in new space. Hopefully, you are uh, feeling comfortable with this. You you're, have a newfound kind of appreciation, or your eyes are trained specifically on space relationship. And I'm going to ask you to kind of keep it there. But I want you to now open your eyes to the interactions and reactions. Of what's happening there. What I mean by that is if you're on a street, you see a red light, it turns green, and the cars move. The kinesthetic response to the response, the external stimuli of the green light, the drivers will press the pedal to accelerate and they will move. If you have a little green man or a little red hand, if you're crossing the street, that is a kinesthetic response. It's a very Formulaic and very uh, created way of saying stop or go. But there are things out there that exist that way. As you're in this new space and you're watching the world go by, can you start to see the subtle kinesthetic responses that are happening? Can you see the almost misses, the interactions, the bumpings, the um, sounds of things. If if you see an animal, if there's someone walking a dog, oh, just watch the dog. Forget the person. The person is oblivious to what's going on. But the dog hears and sees and smells everything. They are a kinesthetic machine. They are reacting to everything that's going around it. Their ears are perking up and and moving to where those sounds are. They get a new smell and they their head immediately goes to where that smell is, even if they're being pulled by their owner. Their eyes are darting around. They never really stay on anything for very long, dog's eyes, if you notice this. Cats will stare through your soul, but a dog is constantly moving around and looking, listening, smelling the world. Can you start to awaken that inside of yourself as well? We're so visually dominant. So let's start with the eyes. Without having to dart around, can you just start to see things happen? Don't look for them. Let them happen and then go find it. Something moves out of the corner of your, of your eye to the right and you look over there. Now you see moving toward the left, so you have to look over to your left. Maybe the wind blows and you see the trees move. Maybe it's even small, subtle things. An ant on the ground. The condensation on the outside of your drink. A cloud shifts, and the sun isn't coming down as strongly as before. These are all visual things that we can pick up on. Let's move to auditory. What sounds are you hearing? The sounds of the street? Cars? The sounds of people? Laughter? The wind? It picks up. We hear it. Again, each one of those things you could turn toward. The wind coming from the left. The laughter coming from behind. You ever hear somebody laugh and you want to... There's such a great laugh, you want to know what that joke was. You turn around, you look. Maybe, Maybe, just maybe I can pick up on that conversation. How about feeling? Can you feel vibrations? Vibrations in the air? The car goes by, can you feel the wind that comes away from that? Or the wind in the air blowing through the trees? Do you feel that coming from one direction or the other? Can you feel the sun on your face? Is it warmer on one side or the other? Again, start to kind of tie into these things. Maybe if you're lucky, there are smells. Smell used to be a really important part for the human animal, but smell is now relegated very low down on the list. I have a bakery near my house. Every morning, I can tell what time it is just by the smell. That's a great way to wake up the smell of bread. I can also tell. What day it is, because the garbage man comes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I can smell him. Any smells? Can can you pick up anything? Lastly, taste. There's not much we can do here with taste. You have eaten something or you haven't eaten something. But just connect to it anyway. Toothpaste, coffee, anything you're picking up? I'm going to ask you now to move, to go towards those things. Whenever you see something, you're going to look a little funny. Yeah, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the other people right now, except for their space. That's all you need to worry about. When something catches your eye, when something catches your ear, when you have a sensation, I want you to move towards those things. And I want you to try and move toward them at the same time that you get the sensation. It's a funny thing. We see a stimulus. It goes into our brains immediately, and then it gets lost on its way to our muscles. Can you start to try and take that down? So when you see something, something out of the corner of your eye, you move your head toward that and start walking until something takes you in another direction because you see something else. Something external is the stimulus to your movement, whether it's visual stimulus, auditory stimulus, or tactile sensory stimulus through the skin. Just try that out. you feel silly it's okay doesn't matter you're working you're getting back into your body you're connecting with your kinesthetic response are you more visually dominant are you noticing that your eyes are doing all the work can you switch them off don't close your eyes but Just try and put the extra focus on the ears or the skin. Now I'm going to ask you to try to do something different here. Still working with the eyes, the ears, the skin, the kinesthetic response, the external stimulus that's happening out there. I don't want you to necessarily move towards or away. You can choose whatever physical response you want to, to the stimulus. If a dog runs by, maybe you sit down. If the sun comes out from the cloud, maybe you jump up and down. It doesn't matter what you do. It's only important that you do. It's not important what you do. It's only important that you do. You're training your system to react. That's what the theater is about, right? Acting and reacting. As an actor, you're just constantly throwing a ball out and catching a ball, and that's what we're kind of try to train here right now. You're reacting and trying to shorten that time between seeing, hearing, feeling the stimulus, and doing something about it. I'm going to shut up for a little bit. I want you to just explore responding to external stimuli in whatever way seems appropriate. No, I can't see you, but I guarantee you there's a lot more stimulus out there that you're not reacting to or even aware of right now. That's what the viewpoints is about. It's about training that that part of yourself to see more, to feel more, to react to more. And this is kinesthetic response. This is what I find the majority of students wherever I'm at have a real issue with, is this right here. Whether it's because of school telling us to censor ourselves or to think and then react, don't react first. You know, uh, put it through a filter of things. We have to kind of unlearn that for the theater. Um, If you've ever taken any kind of Meisner training, this is what it's all about. It is all about responding immediately, however it is, with no censor, without any filter, without any sense of judging ourselves about is this right or wrong. Just reacting because it'll be real there are certain issues with the method that I may have and other people may have as well but that's what it's about the kinesthetic response and that's what we're trying to train here we're going to take another break I want you to continue to move through the space now that you're up and comfortable and moving in the space and you're doing all this I want you to continue to do this we're going to start working with tempo and again you're working it doesn't matter what you look like People maybe may look at you, they may not look at you. Give them a give them a show. That's alright. We're gonna work with Tempo when we come back, and we're gonna start to tie all these together. So Purple Planet, take it away. Planet. And we're back. I hope you're still moving through the space. I hope you're still exploring the space relationship and the kinesthetic response. We're going to add tempo to this. Just keep on moving. Keep walking. Keep jumping. Keep sitting. Doing whatever you're doing as I tell this story. I love airports, is something I thought I would never say. I love airports, um, not only because you get to see humanity at its best and its worst. One of my favorite things, traveling all over the world, when being in a place that I've never been before, seeing cultures that I don't interact with on a daily basis. I love seeing parents play with their children because no matter what our differences may be, parents want the best for their kids. Kids are rowdy and rambunctious and crazy and they run all over the place and parents worry about Oh my God, where'd the kid go? I've lost the kid. Whether you're from Egypt or you're from Australia. A parent is a parent is a parent. I love that about airports. The other thing I love about airports is I love seeing the tempos that people use. They're getting off of a plane from somewhere into another location, maybe their final destination, maybe it's just a layover somewhere else. But as soon as they get off the airplane, they have to shift. They have to adjust themselves. They're no longer in their location. Whenever I would go to my home in Georgia, where I'm originally from, from New York City, I would get off the airplane and I would still be in that New York, quick, fast-paced walk that every New Yorker knows. Every New Yorker knows if you're from New York or not. If you're walking very slowly and looking around, you're not from New York. (laughs) New Yorkers head down, maybe forward, and just fast as can go. Atlanta is not that at all. Atlanta is hot and there's really nowhere to go. And it's really about the journey to wherever you're going more than anything else. You're going to say hello. How are you doing to the people that are going around you? It's a different pace. It's a different tempo. And as I travel around the world, I continue to see this. Uh, Singapore is interesting in that it doesn't have a steady tempo. It's more neighborhood by neighborhood. If you live in the heartlands, if you live in woodlands, if you live in Jurong uh, versus the CBD or somewhere close to the CBD or um, even east coast to west coast very different feels. There's a lot of different cultures, a lot of mixing of people from all over the world. They're bringing their tempos in, and Singapore being the rojak salad that it is, it just takes it. Fine. We'll take it. You can keep it. It's fine. Tokyo is a very different tempo than Kyoto. Kyoto with all its shrines and its holy, you know, holy sites and things like that versus Kyoto, which is just go, 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 get out of the way. The cars have to go. Tempo is something that is externally produced, so we can play with kinesthetic response. It also deals with spatial relationship as well. When we're close to somebody, we don't feel comfortable being as fast. We want to slow things down. So again, spatial relationship can be a part of this as well. As you are moving as you're continuing hopefully to be reacting what is your tempo currently on a scale of 1 to 10 10 being the fastest 1 being the slowest where are you at probably a 5 right that seems to be normal for everybody it's okay your 5 is going to be different than my 5 is going to be different than a citizen from tokyo's 5 but this is your 5 can you Cognizantly, can you consciously start to manipulate your tempo? Still reacting. I still want you to be playing with the reactions that are happening out there. Maybe you're just walking, and that's fine. Maybe it's just subtle reactions. It doesn't have to be big reactions at all. Can you just shift your tempo now? If you're at a five, can you go toward the uncomfortable range, whatever that may be for you? Maybe you feel less comfortable being fast. Maybe you feel less comfortable being slow. Can you move toward the uncomfortable range for a little bit? Reacting, moving faster or slower than you had before? What's uncomfortable about this? What is it about this that you don't like? Let's move to the opposite side of the spectrum. If you were going fast, now let's go to a slow. Slow, if you're going fast. How does this feel? Does this feel better? Why does it feel better? If you can, Play with the extremes. I imagine from the five that you were at when you were asked to go faster or slower, you maybe took it from a five to a seven, or a five to a three. That's okay. But now I'm going to ask you to play with extremes. Extremely fast. Extremely slow. So slow you could barely call it movement. So fast, it could almost get dangerous. And maybe you only have to do it for brief bursts. But play with that, and play with the reactions. Is it easier to react to things on a faster tempo? Are you doing the same thing over and over again at a faster tempo? When you slow things down, can you notice more? Or do you dwell on things more? Is there more variety in one or the other? There's no judgment here. We're just exploring. And what are people doing? What are their tempos? Can you give them numbers? Can you see them reacting? Can you see them responding? Can you see them shifting their tempos? A quick two-step off of a bus and then a steady tempo. Somebody dodges out of the way of something. Before sitting down, we slow ourselves to sitting. You can just start to notice that. And as you notice all these things, have you shifted back to a five tempo? again. We're just noticing. We can't change anything until we notice it, if we want to even change it. Is there a tempo that you associate with a certain character? Is there something that naturally feels correct for a character that you've played or a character that you want to play. Do plays have their own tempo? The amalgamation of all the characters there, but the author, the writer, the playwright, very clearly has a tempo in mind. This is extremely fast play. You can have slow characters in extremely fast play, but they're going to get swept away. Versus the anxiety of being a fast character in a slow play. Look at the people around you. What does their tempo say about their character? What information can you draw? And are you at a five again? When we don't put attention on it, do we naturally go back to our default state? That's okay. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you a provocation, which you can do right now, actually, possibly. And if you can't do it right now, save it for another time and try it out. So, Pearl Planet, take it away. Give us one more break, and we come back for questions and comments. Provocation time. So, my provocation to you is this. And you can do this now, possibly, if the circumstances are correct. I would normally ask you to go to a busy street, but busy streets are not likely around right now. But I'd like you to go someplace where there are things, where there are people, where there's a possibility that you could bump into people. Not that I'm asking you to bump into people, but but there's a possibility to bump into people. You're at a park. People are riding bicycles, people are running with their dogs, That's that sort of situation. That that still exists, I believe, in the world, hopefully. I hope it does. It does out here where I'm at. I know there are places in the world where that exists. So if you're out on the street uh, and life is happening, it's perfectly fine. I want you to pick a starting location. So if you're on a street block, start at one block, and I want you to choose an ending location. Uh, rather far away. So it's, say, maybe three normal street blocks, or let's say a quarter of a mile, or let's say um, 200 yards, two football field lengths. That's the length I want you to kind of go on. I want you to travel this. This is, a, this is your starting point, your ending point and what i want you to try to do is i want you to inter i want you to move through the world interacting as you normally would hopefully avoiding people but what i want you to try to do is i want you to keep that kinesthetic response open the spatial relationship open and the tempo open and i want you to be cognizant of when the change needs to happen where the body normally makes these choices for us unconsciously, we're not even aware of these happening, speeding up our tempo to avoid something, or moving out of the way, dodging. I want you to be conscious of these choices. When your body sends the signal for you to do something, and see if you can almost start to pre-cognitively hear this information. If this is a busy street, this would make a lot more sense in terms of having to dodge and weave around people. But try this now with objects, with the world, and really just kind of slow it down, pinpoint it into information about the body when we have to make that information instead of having other people make the information for us. So, again, we're going to start from this starting point, you're going to go to the ending point, and you're just going to listen to the body. Through the spatial relationship, through the topography, through, sorry, the tempo, and through your kinesthetic response. And that's the that's the provocation. That's all it really is. And you can continue to do this forever. It's a great way of connecting with yourself and connecting with your surroundings. So whether you can do it now, whether you can do it later, or whether you can continue to do it throughout the time, that's your provocation. Move through the space, avoiding The world and listening to how the body responds. Don't go on autopilot. Be in the pilot seat with all the dials going off and giving information. The million, million stimuli that are coming in. Try to pick up as much as you can and move through the space to the point where you can start to precognitively understand when things are going to happen. You don't know how, but all of a sudden you knew that something was going to come in from your right. You knew that that uh, baby that was walking towards you was going to dart to its left and was never going to give you space. You were going to have to move around the baby. That dog who was sniffing up ahead and running with its owner, you were going to have to wait for it to move because it wasn't going to move the delivery driver coming in with uh, their delivery uh, doesn't quite see you, isn't looking at you, isn't paying attention to you, is on his or her job schedule, what are you going to have to do? Simple provocation, but so much information can be gleaned from this. And we appreciate you listening to these solo podcasts. It really means a lot to us uh, that you Invest your time in the podcast itself, where two people are, you know, babbling on about our views of theater, good, bad, or otherwise. But when you're listening to these solo podcasts, it means uh, we must be doing something well. You want to learn from us, which is really great. We love that. Um, but we we are interested in hearing back from you, as always. What did you get from Booty's solo exercise last week with the chakras? We already got a couple of emails from that, which were great to hear. What did this do for you? Did this do anything for you? Yes? No? It's okay. It's okay if no. Let me know. It's important to know because there are six other viewpoints I would like to go through. So if these first three don't connect, (laughs) then I won't waste any of our time with it. Um, But either way, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can send that feedback to speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. Again, speakpipe.com backslash theater of others, all one word. You can leave a 90-second voice message there and tell us how you feel. If uh, the voice message thing isn't your thing, you can send an email to podcast at theater dot com. We can uh, read it when we have our knee conversations uh, before we have our uh, just kind of talking about politics in the world and how it relates to the theater. Sometimes we do Q&A sessions and we we really love doing those. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, our WhatsApp messages, if you have those on our website itself, we have a way to con- connect with us. Um, but please do, please send us some information, send us some feedback. And as Booty always says, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I want to th- send a really uh, big thank you to all the playwrights who sent us in your audio plays. We have received uh, more than we thought we were actually going to receive from, so from people from we have never even met people we don't even know, which is great to know that uh the podcast and the company is connecting with um new audience, which is fantastic uh we are gonna spend the month of April uh reviewing reading rereading uh your plays before we are connecting with you the authors and letting you know and then we will announce on the podcast um all the plays that we will be we will be doing in September and october um Thank you very much for staying with us today. Uh, We really appreciate uh, being here with us. This is episode 50, and it means a lot that, that you are here for this episode, even if it's for the first time. For those of you who have been here from the beginning, we love you, and you mean a lot to us, and we hope that we are giving back to you what you're giving to us. Uh, So we will be back in uh, the normal mode with Booty and I talking next week, talking about leadership in the room, leadership in the rehearsal room, leadership in the rehearsal process, not just talking about directors, but obviously focusing a little bit on directors that way. So what does it mean to have leadership and what happens when leadership fails? Thanks a lot, folks. Really appreciate it. Take care of yourselves. And if you can, take care of somebody else. And we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us this week on the Theater Brothers podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theaterbrothers.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. A special thank you to Purple Planet for the music you've heard. The Theatre of Others creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purposes of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and time. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task and requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Be sure to tune in next week for our next journey.